New Species, the podcast where we talk to scientists about their discoveries of organisms that are new to science, but not necessarily new to nature. We talk to the authors of these studies to get behind-the-scenes stories, to talk about why these discoveries should matter to everyone, not just scientists, and to help people better understand the wonderful biodiversity of our planet. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash new species podcast. You're listening to New Species, the podcast where I talk to scientists about their discoveries of new species that they recently described. I'm your host, Brian Patrick, and today I'm joined by Dr. Abel Batista, a researcher at Universidad Autonoma de Chiriqui in Panama. He's here today to talk to us about his soon-to-be-published paper in zoological research. In this paper, he and his co-author describe a new species of harlequin toad from eastern Panama. Welcome, Abel. Hi, Brian. What is a harlequin toad? I've never heard of a harlequin toad. Please describe what this is. Well, these, uh, these are very charima- charismatic frogs uh, from the Neotropics. They uh, live only in the Neotropics. They are uh, slender fro- uh, well, frogs but uh, are within the uh, toad family, buffonids. It's like a giant toad or cane toad is in the same family. These frogs or toads are uh, usually found along streams. Some of them are very colorful and they are um, highly sensitive to environment uh, modification or destruction. They are very sensitive. And some scientists use them as a species indicator of the health of the ecosystem. They breed along, along streams, and some species have uh, has a movement uh, between the breeding season and out of the breeding season. Usually, so some frogs uh, concentrate along the stream during the breeding season and move far from the stream in, in out of uh, breeding season. And they can be found uh, from lowlands to highlands. There are some groups that are uh, restricted or or prefer to ha- uh, highland habitats like cloud forests, elevation above 1,000 meters. But there are uh, many species uh, that are uh, lowland species as well. In Panama, we found species uh, from lowland to highland. Most of them uh, inhabited in a inhabit uh, lowland uh, areas. Sure, and what about this? So that's harlequin toads in general. What about this new species? Where is it normally found? Is this a highland or a lowland, or or where where is it typically found? Well, this this species uh, you can find in in lowlands, uh, in one side of the mountain uh, where we found them, uh, but they they can go high up to one. Uh, 1,800 meters of elevation. So the same species, the the new one that you found, you, you, have you found it at that high of an elevation? Uh, not, but I have I have records uh, for a friend of mine that uh, he found them in a cloud forest, and I and I I have records from for other species in Panama as well that uh, can be uh, that high. However, uh, they don't breed there because uh, these are small mountains. They are like peaks, uh, mountains, and there are no there are no streams there. And then they move. They make this movement from from the top of the of the mountain uh, out of breeding season, and then come back or return to to the streams uh, during the breeding season. 
Right. And for people who are listening, frogs and toads require water for their eggs. And that's why they have to move around. So they're migrating up and down the side of this mountain, you're saying, right? And what's interesting about toads, so I work on spiders, and and I don't know unless I physically see it, but there's a way to find frogs and toads without actually looking at them, right? You can listen for them. That's how you know they're up there, right? Yeah, yeah. That, sometimes we use um, different kind of, of techniques to, to survey them. And sometimes when we we, we, we cannot spend much time in the, in the field because sometimes uh, these areas are pretty remote, and we set some uh, long uh, long term recorders devices in the forest and leave leave it there for a couple of days or weeks, and then uh, in this way we can record a species that usually we we couldn't find visually. Um, and the call is an important cue for differentiated species. This is very important. It, it works uh, uh, in the same way as, as for birds. Uh, every species has their own uh, call. And this is a way that uh, supports us also to, to split or separate different species. And you sent me this call. So I would like to play it for us right now so everybody can hear what we're talking about. And then we'll talk about this call. Okay, so that was the call of this new species, and the new species here is called Atelopus fronterizo, right? Yeah, Atelopus fronterizo. And the call you hear, um, in the background you hear a, a, a bit of noise. This is a noise of a stream, and they, they, uh, likes to, they like to, to, to stay along uh, fast-flowing water. That's where they lay the, their eggs because they need, their tadpoles also need a lot of oxygen. And very clean water. Okay, and in your paper, you talk about four kinds of calls that are typical in Adelopus, right? And you say, so you you say in in this particular genus, there are basically four kinds of calls, but in this particular species, there are two of them. So there's a pulsed call and a pulsed short call. Which one did we just hear? Did we hear hear a pulsed pulsed call or a pulsed short call? The pulse pulse call. The pulse call. Yeah. Okay, and so what would the, it, just for our imaginations, what would a pulsed short call be like? It's like, check, like, almost like clicks. So it'd be like, chick, 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 chick. No, like, uh, it's just one, like, chick. Or trick. Oh, okay. Chick, chick. Sure. And then the ones that we just heard were like the longer chick. Yeah. Chick. Okay, I get it. Oh, excellent. See, I'm learning new things. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so they have those two kinds of calls and no other type of call has been recorded in this species, right? No, no. And so you can just put a microphone out there and walk away for a week or two and then come back and just have some students listen to it and say, wait, wait, I don't know what this one is. I better get Abel. And Abel listens to it and says, oh, no, I think that's a new species. Or no, no, that's this species. Is that how that works? <laughs> well, uh <clears throat> Yeah, so sometimes, uh, luckily, I have, I have a, a good experience in at least in Panamanian frogs, and I know a lot of, of, of calls of different species, 
also undescribed species. And sometimes happen that people bring me some calls and, okay, this is a no 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 described species, but uh, you know to describe species is a long process and you need a, a lot of evidence, not just the call, but need um, information sometimes molecular genetics. Um, morphological characters, distribution, ecology, and so on. And since you bring that up then, let's let's look ahead at how did you decide that this one was a new species? Obviously, you, you had to listen to the call, but then there were some morphological or some anatomy things that you looked at. What did you look at on the anatomy of this frog to say, yeah, I think this is a new species? Yeah, it was, uh, this species, uh, it was... Uh, different lines of evidence. One of them was a biographical or distributional pattern. Uh, they, they are restricted in a mountain range, which is isolated to the other species uh, uh, in, in, in that area or region of Panama. Right. It was and a, that's it, along uh, the, the border with Colombia, right? Right. And then also the color pattern of these species uh, bring us to, to think, okay, this it's different to, to what we know because the other species are well known and also the size. And we proved all this. We, we had a, a, long, a long time looking for differences. And it, it wasn't like, okay, at the beginning or at, at fear at glance, we, we, we have an idea. Okay, this could be new, but we need to support that. And then for, to do this, uh, we need to... We had to do some molecular genetics analysis as well, even compare because you need to prove statistically with uh, to the scientist community that this is really not just because I think it's, it's new, but I must prove that they, they are different to to related species, and we have to take measurements of all all uh, re related species. In, at least in Panama and Colombia, because it wasn't important with Colombia, and compare them with uh, molecular genetics, with the DNA. Um, we we traveled to New York, to US, actually, to, to revise or check uh, some species that were collected in that region uh, around the 60s and 70s. It was a herpetologist called uh, Charles Meyer. He was working some years in Panama, and he collected species in that time. And those, those species are in the Museum of Natural History in New York. And we went there to take measurements of those specimens and also got information that the specimen was even collected before, some years before that, in 1911. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a... So it's been sitting in a museum collection <laughs> without a name. Really? For 110 years? For 100 years, yeah. It was very interesting for us. And it was a naturalist. Called, uh, his name was uh, is, uh, Henry Pitier. He was a botanist. And he, he made, I don't know, this long time expedition to all the, along the coast, Caribbean coast of Panama till Colombia. And he found the species also in a, in a place in lowland, in Caribbean coast between Panama and Colombia. And he was he he was uh, the first who collected species. That had to be crazy. You're going to the American Museum thinking I have this thing that I've never seen collected before, and here's a specimen that's 110 years old, yeah. sitting in there, <laughs> just in a jar, right? Because they keep these in a jar, and you're going, wait, I think this is it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing because many many people, well, some Colombians friends also knew the species uh, from some uh, expedition, but nobody could describe it because uh, the lacking of uh, some uh, evidence. For example, molecular genetics, nobody had this. Um, also, the call recordings, nobody has this. Um, we we use all this together to to complete the the, the history. Right. So you use DNA, you used morphology or the anatomy, what the thing looks like, mm-hmm. both internal and external. And you use the call to all to help decide that this was a new species, right? Yeah. And you had some help with that, didn't you? It wasn't just you out in the field. It seems like you mentioned in your paper that maybe some of the border patrol people in Panama were able to get some recordings for you or, or what is the story there? You mentioned this in the paper. Uh, well, yeah, yes, the, the border patrol, uh, they, they were just working there one, once in a iNaturalist um, project uh, last year. Some of, the, of those people photo, take a photograph um, of, the, of the frog and send it to me. And nobody knew uh, the name of that species. In I naturalist, everybody knows the species, or most of the species are known, but for this species, uh, it wasn't a name. And, and, and did you know about this frog before, or this toad before that point, or or was that the first time you became aware of it? No, I was, uh, yes, I, I, I saw that, that frog uh, for the first time in 2012 in an in a expedition I did in that border. border. It was, um, well, we're, we're three expedition. Um, where we found uh, like three different populations of that frog. Because it has to be in pristine habitat, this must be hard to find in some of these areas, right? How did you, how did you find it when you were going out collecting it? I mean, that tell us something about the field work that it takes to find these frogs. Yeah, uh, usually or toads. Yeah, sorry, they're toads and yeah, frogs. Toads and frogs. Yes. <laughs> uh, well. Uh, we 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 had experience in these three expeditions. Uh, two of them I was alone, alone, and the other one I was with with a co-author, Milan Besley. But in the in the two first expeditions, they were uh, just in the border with Colombia, and by that by that by uh, that time, there was some problems in the in the border with guerrillas and smugglers and so. Um, I, when I, when I went there, I, I was, I was alone with some Indians from, from those areas. Um, we had to walk like two, three days to get the habitat of these species. Not talking about the, the days I have to, to take from Panama city to, to, to this Indian village. Then from then I have to walk like two, three days to, to get the, this place. Um, many times crossing rivers, some flu- flooded, flooded rivers. Um, in one of, in one of the trips uh, of the expedition, it was really uh, scary. I don't know. It was experience because we found abandoned uh, camps of the guerrillas in that area, and in 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 one in one point, we had to to change to leave the path. And took uh, open a new path, uh, climbing a hill to avoid uh, to meet them because we found some uh, papers in the in the river, like fresh uh, fresh uh, envelopes, 
made it made in Colombia and supposedly nobody's there but <laughs> probably guerrilla or narcos I don't know uh, it was a really exciting time um, I imagine yeah yeah so you're in the ju- you're in the jungle with with some native some some natives who are helping you yeah and you run across a guerrilla camp yeah so armed guerrilla fighters had just been there yeah so you have to change, and then you go to another place, and now you have stuff floating around in the water, and you're like, maybe we shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah. So just so people out there can understand, this is what scientists go through in parts of the world to find new species. They, they're they literally risking their lives, because if you had found that camp and there were still guerrilla fighters there, what what do you think could have happened? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, well, the, the native also told me, no, we, we, we cannot go farther because you don't, you don't know. They, they used uh, to, to put some bombs in the ground, and this also dangerous. Oh, like landmines, yeah, right? Yeah, landmines? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then uh, better to walk along the river and cross the other side where there's no trail and nothing, nobody's there. And, well, we decided to, to, to take that, that way. At the end, we had to climb a hill pretty, pretty well, some one day. And because, I, as I told you, these are steepy hills and no streams or creek are up there. Uh, and there were, uh, but by that time we used to, to wait for rain to, to get water for cooking and drink. Um, we, we spent like four days without any rain. And we had, we had to cut some vines to, to, to make some rice and drink water. It was, well, actually we did this and the next day was raining and we had to do this only one day <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah. of course right the day after you you get desperate it rains yeah, <laughs> yeah I, wow so the, so you're you're making bear grills look bad <laughs> right so you know he's the famous survivalist who does the tv show and you're like ah that's nothing come out here and try to find a try to find a toad in the middle of the panamanian cloud forests i'll show you survival <laughs> yeah not easy <laughs> No, it's not easy at all. And so those, and, and then when you get there, how do you collect them? Do you just catch, are they just hopping around or how do you, what do you use to find them? Yeah. Uh, in the, in this expedition, we found one, one specimen. When I saw it, okay, this is a, this is a new species and we must collect it because it was just one and we took it to, to the museum. This is the holotype. Uh, we didn't see more, more of them. And in the other two expeditions, we found more specimens. We took photographs and measured them. Um, well, we, we leave them there. But we, we, we were lucky that uh, were some, some specimens collected in the 60s and 70s, and also that one for 1911, that we could uh, measure and had a good sample uh, to compare them with the other uh, species or related species in Eastern and Colombian border. Okay. And now that you've found the species and you, you've done all of your measurements, you've collected the DNA, you've listened to the call, you've decided it's a new species. How did you pick the name? You have a very interesting name for the species. <laughs> so it's uh, Adelaidus uh, fronterizo, right? What is the fronterizo? What is the specific epithet of this? Well, fronterizo. Adelopus. Sorry, Adelopus fronterizo. Yeah. What does the fronterizo refer to? Well, fronterizo is like a borderland in, in Panama. The people call uh, to the to the border patrol fronterizos because uh, frontera comes from the border. Um, and these frogs, uh, 
was found or is is living almost all along the the, the border with because Colombia between Panama and Colombia, and I decided to call it uh, Fronterizo because the place in the border borderland, and also because the people used to call the police uh, the border uh, patrols like. Uh, Fronterizos, no, because they work in the, in the borders, uh, and also the camouflage of this frog because it's very nice and it's green with yellow, and some 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 individuals are like uh, green olive with a uh, bit dark, and looks like uh, the the uniform the the, the, the uh, how the fronterizos or the patrol dress, no, which is very oh, nice. Oh, okay, yeah. so it, yeah, it looks like their uniforms as well. Yeah. And there's a very nice picture for, for people who are listening. There's a very nice picture in the paper, and I have a link to the paper. Uh, it's an open access paper. There's a link to the paper in the episode notes, so you can go and look at it and click on it. And you can see the, the pictures. They have some dead specimens there, so you can see what they look like when they're dead. But they also have a live specimen there, so you can see what it looks like. And I'll try to put some on Twitter and Facebook as well, so people can see those if you, if you follow uh, the podcast on those. All right, so you, you got the new species name. Now, the, the next question that I always ask people is, why do people need to know about these toads? What, why is it important for people to know about these? Obviously, they're in very hard-to-get places, right? These are not easy places to get. You mentioned earlier that these are indicator species. Can you explain what an indicator species is or, or a group of species that's indicator, and why should people know about these? <clears throat> yeah, this species in particular is very important because belongs to a group of species that 90% of them are or critically endangered or extinct. Actually, in Panama, last year, one of the, of the seven species, Atelopus species, was declared uh, extinct by the IUCN. And this is really sad because this uh, species, you, you can imagine 90% of the species, more, more than 100 species within this genus, Atelopus genus, so, or harlequin toads are endangered or extinct in the tropics. This is very important to to well at least to to know the name of this species that this species exists, but currently we don't know how's the status of this species. We don't know yet if 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 it has uh, disappeared because in Panama, unfortunately, we have another species, the golden toad, uh, which is also extinct in the wild. Is found only in zoos. I think in Houston Zoo and some other zoos in, in Panama are a captive breed. And there are no more in the wild. And now these species are very sensitive to pathogens, to climate change, to deforestation and contamination, pollution. We uh, These species uh, are found only in pristine forests in very preserved forest. And now, uh, or since three years ago, we are working in a project in Darien as well, working with one of these species, the uh, Pirre harlequin toad, which is uh, in other mountain range in Darien as well. And we use this species as indicator because they are so sensitive that we can use it as a model to evaluate or to evaluate the risk of extinction of this species against climate change. And we are running some tests of uh, 
thermoecology. We are measurement, measuring the, the preferred temperature of, of this frog, which temperatures they prefer, prefer to live, which temperatures, uh, high and higher and lower temperatures, can uh, affect their survival. And we set some models with uh, sensors, te thermosensors in the wild, in the habitat of this frog, to run some analysis and with this analysis, we can, and this, this knowledge of the preferred temperatures of the frog, we can say is the frog or how the, the frog can deal with climate change if the world temperature increase one or two or three degrees, I don't know, uh, within the next 15, 50 years, for example. Then we can evaluate the uh, re, uh, extinction risk of this species and use, use it as a model to see what, what could happen in their habitat, but not only in their habitat, also is our habitat, habitat. Yeah, and so there, when, when we say that they're sensitive, you, you talk about them being sensitive to pollution and climate change. It's not just that they're sensitive to it, it's also their eggs are sensitive, right? Because the eggs have to be laid in that water. If there's any pollution in that water, uh, many people don't know that many of the frogs and toads are able to, to exchange gas exchange across their skin so they can breathe through their skin to a certain extent. That will be sensitive to pollution. Uh, some of these species have, have lived in the same area for tens of thousands of years, and small changes in the habitat can, can mess with that, right? These are the things we're talking about them being very sensitive to, right? Yeah. And they're losing habitat, too, in Panama. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh... There, there are so there's, urbaniz lo there's urbanization and deforestation both, right? A lot of logging in Darien because uh, there are uh, huge trees and the people are uh, going after these trees because they, they, they provide them with good uh, goods. And uh, we have a problem every dry season. Machines go farther and farther and cut trees. And... Some species are losing important habitats. Also, the this uh, fronterizo uh, toad, because some one of the places we found it uh, is a, a place of low, a lowland that is um, uh, is very interesting for these loaders. And so the, you're losing a lot to deforestation, but also Panama has a growing urbanization as well, right? So there's there's you're losing land to people building houses and and just clearing it for human use, not just for the logging, right? So you have a, a growing population like we see elsewhere in the world. And and we're losing biodiversity as a result. So it's it's great that you're trying to document some of this. Thank you for doing that. That's great. And this frog and toad, actually this new toad, potentially is quite sensitive to all of this if it's anything like the other members of the genus, right? Yeah, yeah. Is is very highly sensitive to to all these uh, uh, habitat loss. Um, yeah, you're right. It's not uh, only logging, but also opening forests for agriculture and settlements and urbanization and pollution. Some in some places in Panama, uh, also in Latin America, I guess they burn their land to clean them. And these are very, uh, these are extremely high uh, problem in dry season. Once in 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 the habitat of the pure harlequin frog, 
the one we are studying, we found ages of burn like more than 10 kilometers away from the last uh, village in the cloud forest where supposedly no nothing could happen. But this, all this smoke from these burns can affect also these uh, highly sensitive species. As, as you told you, told before, they are a skin. They, 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 their skin is permanent. Yeah, they can breathe across yeah, the skin. Yeah. yeah, they can do gas exchange across yeah, the skin. Yeah. Do we know what they do out ecologically? Do, what do they eat? Do we have any clue about their diet or anything? Or, or are they food <clears throat> for anything else that we know of? I know this is a new species that's very remote, so it's hard to know, but... Do we have any knowledge on like stomach contents or anything? Well, not not yet, but we know from other for the species we are studying, which is uh, very close closely related. They eat insects mostly, but the tadpoles mostly insects. Okay, the tadpoles has a very important important impact in the in the water, the quality of the water, <clears throat> because they they feed on uh, algas from the from the rocks. And keep the a good uh, nutrients flu in in the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they keep the no, the nutrients low and and flowing in yeah, the water, yeah, right? Yeah. Because they're they're eating that algae that shows up on the rocks. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, Abel, this has been a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for your time. I've learned a lot about these frogs, and I'm really excited. Or toads. I'm sorry, I keep saying frogs, but I, I know that they're toads. I've learned a lot about them, and I thank you very much for taking the time and joining me all the way from Panama. Uh, Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for inviting me. Once again, Dr. Abel Batista's paper is in preprint for zoological research, and the title of the paper is A New Species of Atalopus from Eastern Panama. See the episode details for a link to his paper, and to learn more about Abel, follow him on Twitter, at AbelBatistaPTY. That's at A-B-E-L-B-A-T-I-S-T-A-P-T-Y. Be sure to follow New Species on Twitter, at Podcast Species. And like the podcast on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash New Species Podcast. And if you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash New Species Podcast. <laughs>